Our world is filled with bad news. Some would even say that the media only reports bad news. What is the worst news that you have ever received? Perhaps it was the news of a lost loved one. Or perhaps the news of an illness or dreaded diagnosis. Perhaps it was the news of a lost job or a failed business or career. We hear and receive a lot of bad news over our lifetime. But what we have before us this morning is the worst news that you'll ever hear. There's no news worse than the news that we're going to read this morning in Matthew chapter 7. These, this news is uttered from the lips of Jesus. I would argue that there, are, there really is no worse news in all of human history. No news that's ever been communicated in all of human history than to hear from Jesus, I never knew you. Friends, this is frightening news. This is debilitating news. This, I believe, is is shattering news. And it is eternally soul-deadening news. Friends, this is the news that Jesus has for those who refuse to follow Him. Those who willfully and willingly rebel against Him. This is the news you ever wondered, what is Jesus going to say to me when I turn up into heaven? What, what message does he have? Well, friend, if you live your life your own way, if you keep going the broad way, I, I'll tell you what Jesus is going to say to you. Because Jesus tells you right here in Matthew chapter 7 what he's going to say. The first thing he's going to say to you, after you list all the reasons why you should be in heaven, he's simply going to look you in the eyes and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Never once knew you. Jesus here is concluding the Sermon on the Mount. He is calling for a decision in the lives of his disciples. And he's given his disciples four warnings as he concludes this sermon. In verses 13 and 14, we saw that he warns them that there really are only two roads or two gates. There's There's two ways to live your life. You can either live on the broad way or the narrow way. You can either go your own way or you can go Jesus' way. There is no third or fourth or fifth option. It is really summarized in two, two ways. Jesus then warned, as we saw last week in verses 15 through 20, that there are two kinds of teachers in the world. There are two kinds of prophets in the world. There are false prophets and there are true prophets. And he taught us that we can spot a false prophet by their behavior, by how they behave, by what they teach and how they call people to follow their own way. And here he concludes by telling us that there are two types of disciples, that as Christians we'll find among ourselves two types of disciples. There are either true disciples or there are false disciples. There are those who masquerade as genuine and true disciples And then there are those who are genuine sheep. He rounds everything together, as we'll see next week, in a concluding word and calls his disciples to a decisive action to make a decision for Jesus. 
to either decide, am I going to continue on this narrow road that Jesus has invited me on, or will I turn and go my own way? Will I build upon the foundation of Jesus' teaching, or will I build upon the foundation of my own way of living? In short, Jesus asked his disciples a simple and straightforward question. And the straightforward question is not only for his disciples, but it's for you this morning. Are you for and with Jesus, or are you against Jesus? That's really the question these final verses seek to, to really draw your mind toward. Are you for Jesus, really for him, or are you against him? With that in mind, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 21 through 23 this morning. Hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, as Christians, we are to be alert to the reality of false disciples. And therefore, Jesus gives us a sense in which we are to exercise discernment among ourselves. We are to understand that there will be wheats and there will be tares. There will be that is what is true and that which is false. There will be those who are very deceived about their Christianity. They'll be very deceived to think that they're on the narrow road, but in reality, they're on the broad road. As Christians, we want to know that not so that we can point fingers and throw folks under the proverbial bus, but so that we can be aware ourselves of the temptation of deception, to be a hearer of the word only and not a doer of the word, one who lives their own life and to think that they're okay with Jesus. It's really the purpose of, I believe, Jesus' exhortation in our sermon this morning is to reflect on our submission to the will of the Father through our obedience to the teachings of Christ. In other words, what Jesus is after here in asking that question, are you for me or against me, is, could be boiled down in, a, in, a, in an imperative. Will you obey me or will you disobey me? In other words, obedience seems to be the central theme. To submit to the lordship of Jesus is to obey Jesus. To disobey Jesus willfully and willingly is to declare yourself Lord over and against the kingdom of Jesus. Is to say, Jesus, I am the master of my own destiny. I will choose to do things my way rather than your way. I am Lord. I am in control. You are not. So this morning, if that describes you, if you understand to be in control of your life and the decisions you make and, and the morality that you choose, the ethical standards by which you live by, if, if you're the one who's writing your own book, if you will, then Jesus isn't your Lord. 
Jesus isn't your Savior. Jesus isn't your King. And you're not a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus. So how do we identify a false disciple? And I want to use some caution here this morning. I want to give some grace and, and, and uh, be very careful. We, we don't get overly dogmatic here. And so listen to the words I chose in describing this. How do we identify a false disciple? Jesus gives us three tendencies that may identify an individual as a false disciple. And here's, here's why I use those words like tendencies and may. Because at the end of the day, you and I are not the judge. Jesus is. All right? We do not know men's hearts. We do not know ultimately. We, we trust Jesus knows those things. But there are tendencies. There are characteristics that show up in a false disciple. In one who's deceived. And Jesus identifies them. As Christians, we want to use discernment, lest we enable someone to live in their deception. You know, so often we are accustomed to allowing those around us to live in deception. We, we kind of enable them. We're, we're enablers in that way. We, we allow people to have the name of Jesus, to call themselves Christians when they, we know they're living in willful rebellion to the will of God. And so this morning he gives us Three tendencies. First, a mere dependence on orthodox confession. In other words, they say the right things. Master deceivers always say the right things. They say what you want to hear. They tell you what you want to hear. They know how to deceive because they know what to say. Secondly, we see... A false disciple has a mere dependence on spiritual activity. They do the right things. Not only do they say the right things, they do the right things, right? They, they go through the religious motions. Thirdly, here we see that a false disciple has a mere dependence on a superficial relationship with Jesus. In other words, they look the right way. They look the right way. They, they look the part. They, they, they hang around Jesus enough. They have a superficial relationship with Jesus. And, and so it appears that they know Jesus and more importantly are known by Jesus. So let's look at these three points this morning. First in verse 21, mere orthodox confession. Notice what Jesus says. Not everyone who says... To me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here Jesus makes his point so clear and straightforward that not everyone who confesses to be a Christian is actually a Christian. Now I know for some this comes as a surprise. This comes as a, as a shock to you. <laughs> Friend, if you've been around Christians long enough, you've been in church long enough, you learn very quickly, not everyone who says they're a Christian is actually a Christian. Not everyone who says they're a pastor is actually a Christian. Not everyone who says they're a deacon is actually a Christian. Friend, this perhaps will be one of the most difficult aspects of following Jesus. It has been for me. is the realization that there are some really deceived people in this world. 
that are seeking to deceive others. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Jesus here describes the context in which uh, to be judgment day. Notice what he says a couple. He says, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or on that day, verse 22, many will say to me, or finally in verse 23, and I will declare to them, depart from me. Well, as you think about the, the picture that Jesus is painting here, he's describing none other than judgment day. He's describing the great day when Jesus will judge the living and the dead, what we read together from our statement of faith earlier, the, the, the return of Christ when he will judge both the living and the dead, those unto good works and those unto eternal damnation. Notice he says that there will be many, there will be many who say to me, uh, not everyone, in other words, it's, it's another way in verse 22, uh, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? In other words, it's similar to what Jesus describes earlier in his conclusion about the broad road. Remember, on the broad road, there will be many people going down that road. Jesus here describes those who turn up into heaven and declare, Lord, Lord. Jesus says that they'll show up one day on Judgment Day and they'll make a grand confession about who Jesus is. If you were a bystander and just sitting outside the room and you heard, Lord, Lord, you would think, wow, they must have a, an immense understanding of, of doctrinal confessionalism. They know that this Jesus is not a mere man, but that he is kurios, he's Lord. You see, that Greek word that Matthew uses here is the, is the same word that the Greek translators of the Old Testament would use in reference to Yahweh. The Lord Almighty, the Creator God, the, the one God of Israel. To confess Jesus as Lord is to declare that Jesus is God, that He is the deified one. He is the one, the high and lifted up one. This title that was reserved for only God, they are declaring. But not only are they confessing him as God, they say, Lord, Lord. In other words, they're declaring him not only to be God, but they are willfully submitting to him as the sovereign one over their life. They're identifying him as the supreme ruler of the cosmos. Jesus is, they are saying, the creator God. He is the one who made heaven and earth. In short, they could pass any Sunday school questionnaire thrown their way. They could answer all the theology questions that the greatest theology professors in all the world could throw at them. They would be experts on Jesus. They knew facts about Jesus more than even the average disciple. Yet, as we will see, they did not know Jesus. I think J.C. Ryle, who's a pastor in England a couple hundred years ago, he puts it best when he writes, the day of judgment will be a revealing of strange things. The day of judgment will reveal, he says, strange things. I mean, that just spun my head. The hopes of many, he writes, who were 
though great Christians, while they lived, will be utterly confounded, the rottenness of their religion will be exposed and put to shame before the whole world. It will then be proved that they uh, really, rather, they, it will be proved that to be saved means something more than making a profession. He goes on to say, we must make a practice of our Christianity as well as a profession. You see, what Jesus describes here is a mere confessionalism, a, a mere confession that Jesus is Lord. It's, it's being able to recite Facts about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that is simple. Knowing theology is simple. It really is. It's not rocket science, all right? It is merely information in and information out, all right? Uh, so don't let Pastor Rod kid you when he, when he says he went to seminary, right? It wasn't that hard, all right? <laughs> I went there. I mean, it's not that hard, right? You can know facts about Jesus, friend. You can teach an old dog new tricks. You can. I trust me. Theology is not the, the standard by which we accept one to be a true believer. There are some atheists in this world that know the Bible better than you. And Jesus lays before us two classes of Christians. Both classes here we see are hearers of God's word. Notice what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Notice Jesus here compares these two groups as ones who know and obey to the one who simply knows. You see, they both know the word. They both know theology. They both can quote the creeds. They both know the confessions of faith handed down generation after generation. But what makes the difference is that one is a doer of the word and one is a mere hearer of the word. As Jesus will say later in Matthew chapter 12, for whoever does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. You see, the great difference between confessionalism and actually practicing a religion is that we obey Jesus. We do what Jesus tells us to do. In a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, Luke records Jesus saying this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Isn't that a, isn't that a picture? Lord, Lord, you're my Lord. Jesus, I love you. You sing it all day long. And Jesus says, why do you sing I love you, Jesus, when you don't really love me because you don't obey me? Or as the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 2 in verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. The question for you this morning is, which are you? Are you just a mere confessional Christian? Are you an actual confessionally doing Christian? 
You see, I, I don't want you to be confused and think that confessioning, confessionalism is bad. No, no, no. I led you to read a confession of faith this morning. We need to know theology. We, need, we want to confess these grand theological truths. Brothers and sisters, we stand on the shoulders of giants when it comes to confessional Christianity. It's one of the things that Baptists have lost in the last hundred years is, is really confessional Christianity. And what I hope to reclaim here is that's why we read the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and, and all these statements of faith. Not because we're just kind of robots, because we stand on the giants of brothers and sisters who have labored with the English language, labored with language in order to capture in words the grandness and the greatness of our God. And so don't misunderstand that, con that, that, that orthodox confession is, is bad, but we don't say mere confessionalism. You see, there are whole denominations that are built around whole sectors of Christ so-called Christianity that is built around merely confessing facts about God and about Jesus and about Mary and about a whole host of other things. But we need more than just confessionalism. We need to, to obey. And as good old Southern Baptists or Baptists, we may have a tendency to trust more in a decision we made for Jesus rather than submitting a life to Jesus. We may be more confident that one, one Sunday evening during a prayer meeting, the preacher put so much psychological pressure on us that we raised our hand for Jesus. And we somehow think that we're going to turn up into heaven with a hand raised and think that's enough to get into heaven. In other words, do you trust more in a past decision, a prayer prayed, an aisled walk, or a dunk one Sunday morning, or a lifetime lived in submission to the will of the Father through obedience to Jesus Christ? There are countless thousands upon thousands of Christians who are on their way to hell because they are dependent upon some decision that they made when they were a kid. Just a few weeks ago, a young lady was, was sharing with me how she was baptized at this church and, and how wonderful of an experience that was. And, and I asked her a follow-up question, well, do you go to church? And her response was no. Now, I'm not saying going to church makes you a Christian, but, but if you don't want to be with Christian folks, if you don't want to be around Christians, like, what do you think heaven is? Like, what, what do you think is going to happen there? Is it like you in alone time with Jesus? Like, it's a place filled with other Christians. You see, that, that dear person that thought that she was going to heaven because some preacher told her she was saved because she raised her hand during VBS. Brothers and sisters, our standards must be higher than that, but they can be less than come and follow Jesus. If we are not calling people to obey Jesus, then we are not calling them to submit to Jesus as Lord. Friend, do you know a lot about God, but not really know the one true and living God? Merely knowing and saying the right religious things will not inherit eternal life with Jesus. Just because you can regurgitate some really good facts about the gospel does not make you a Christian. 
In fact, I would beg to say you've not actually heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ unless they have called you to respond with faith and repentance. No, as we see in verse 22, that doing the right things will not inherit eternal life. Look here at verse 22. Jesus here presses that flip side of the coin. If, If mere obedience is the focus, that's where 22 comes in. Look what he says. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? Now, if you're reading your Bible and trying to think, this verse alone should cause you great trepidation. Great fear. And if it doesn't, then you're not reading it clearly enough. I mean, this verse alone keeps some folks awake at night. Listen to what he says. That there will be many, a very many, who do a lot of activity for Jesus, but do not really deep down live in submission to Jesus. You see, there's a way to do Christianity on a surface level. There's a way to go through the motions, to to check off the boxes, to make everyone around you think that you're truly submitting to Jesus. That's why Ryle says it's going to be a strange day, a disorienting day for so many who lived a life of deception. Notice here in in verse 22, this sort of threefold activity of the false professors. First, we're told that they prophesied in Jesus' name. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That word prophecy basically means preach. To communicate divine truth. I don't don't think what Jesus means here is, is sort of new revelation. That they received this new revelation and they were declaring it. Rather, that they were heralders, they were prophets, they were foretellers of God's word. They were Preachers and evangelists. They were on the front lines of ministry. They were the ones that were the faces of the church. They spoke and led others to Jesus. Yet they themselves did not know Jesus. I mean, how many in your lifetime, brother, sister, have you seen well-known preacher, well-known figure of Christianity renounce the faith and walk away? And you wonder, like, how is this even possible? Generationally, here, locally, here in Maryland, there was a large megachurch pastor here in Maryland that has since, young guy, renounced the faith, led countless tens of thousands to come to know Jesus. One of the largest churches, evangelical churches in Maryland, today denies the faith, denies that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, we see here in this passage, they were, they were those who cast out demons. They were exorcists. They, they, they had some power over the world of darkness. They said, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Now, I know all you Baptists are getting a little squirmy in your seats right now thinking about this, but it's all right. There is a spiritual world of darkness out there. Even though you Baptists don't think so. Um, there is, and, um, 
And, 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 and they, they cast out demons. They did, they did spiritual activity. And we learned and learned through the New Testament that there is a spiritual world of darkness. And that often that spiritual world of darkness can be controlled by darkness. There are things in this world, just write down Frederick Road, tarot card reading and palm reading. That, that's world of darkness. It's a world of darkness. And there's a spiritual world of darkness that can be tried, can be controlled by other means. Finally, Jesus here, in this sort of third activity, says that they did mighty works in Jesus' name. Now, this one here, probably of all of them, scares me the most, and I see it the most in our own denomination. Here's what it is. They do God-sized things in, by man's means. In other words, they manufactured great things of God. They did many mighty works in Jesus' name. They, they did noticeable things, even sizable things. But in the end, Jesus reveals that they really were just human things, not supernatural things. Isn't this a bleak picture? The preachers, the evangelists. The exorcists, the, the real spirits, I mean, the real prayer warriors of the church. The ones that were the movers and the shakers. They all turn up into heaven. And Jesus says to them, I don't know you. You know, it's similar to what John on the flip side of this warning. Now, this is a hard warning. I, I'll deal with it at the end here because there may be some here this morning that this is wrecking your world because you're, you're worried. What, you're wondering whether or not you're even saved this morning. And I think Jesus wants to get us to that point in our lives where we're at the edge, like where we're really questioning, am I following Jesus? But we'll get to that in a moment. See, on the flip side, John, the, the apostle John, he, he was a tender guy and, and he wanted to comfort. And so he, he, wrote, he wrote a letter in 1 John to comfort believers who were questioning whether or not they were genuinely saved. And one of the things that was discouraging the church in Ephesus was that there was a lot of people leaving the church for really bad reasons. And it was unsettling the saints. They were being discouraged. They were like, man, if everyone's leaving, then, then maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I should leave too. And John writes to them and he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain to all that they were not of us. He comforts them by reminding them that, that friend, there will be false disciples among true disciples. And that it's only by the false leaving and, and leaving badly and declaring and, and rejecting the faith that it becomes clear to the saints. It actually becomes a ministry, to the, a purifying ministry to the, to the saints. As a reminder that, that it's only those who persevere to the end that are truly saved. Friend, you want to know whether or not you're truly saved? Just get to the end and then you'll know. Persevere. Endure. Don't give up. Don't renounce. Don't, don't quit. Just keep going. Similarly, in the book of Acts, Paul had warned the church in Ephesus years earlier in Acts chapter 20, that I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And listen, 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. From your own selves, he says, like within the church, we often think that theological liberalism happens outside the church. So the church is the incubator often for theological error. We should not then be surprised when we find these things happening among us. We should not be discouraged. It is a fearful picture that Jesus paints. Yet, at the same time, it is an encouraging picture to those who are faithfully following him. It is a fearful picture for those who can be busy about the kingdom for which they will receive no blessing. Notice here that in each time that Jesus mentions these three activities in verse 22, look what he says. He doesn't just say it once, and I think for emphasis. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? To do something in your name, in the name of somebody, is to be an ambassador, a representative of someone. Jesus here is emphasizing the proximity to the things of God. These did not appear to be mere charlatans. No, they thought they were doing everything in the name of Jesus. They thought they were doing it as representatives of Jesus. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that, that you spent an entire election cycle helping an individual get elected to the presidency of the United States. I mean, you sacrificed time and energy and money and effort. You did countless fundraisers. You did countless organ, organize, organizing of rally after rally. You did all of this work, all the hustle and bustle. You were on the street for this individual. You did everything in your power to help them get elected to the presidency. And lo and behold, they're elected to the presidency. And so you decide one afternoon to make a trip down to the White House. And you roll up there to the guard's gate and you say, hey, I'm so-and-so and I'm here to meet the president. I helped him get elected. Now, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to be like, Mr. President says he does not know you, sir. He never heard your name before. Never seen you before. Doesn't want nothing to do with you. Get out of here. Depart from me. Well, friend, this is the same thing. We can do a lot of things for Jesus. We can do a lot of representing. We can wear a lot of t-shirts for Jesus. We can have on our radio Joy FM and sing all Jesus' songs, but not really know Jesus. Do you do a lot of activity for Jesus, but not really know Jesus? Is your life filled with spiritual things, spiritual activity? Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Could you easily... Stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did I not teach Sunday school in your name? Lord, Lord, did I not serve as a deacon of Catonsville Baptist Church in your name? Did I not serve in the nursery in your name and change all the poopy diapers all those years in your name? Did I not attend church every Sunday in your name? Lord, Lord, did I not give sacrificially every week in your name? I gave 20%. They wanted 10. I just gave them 20 did I not give to the needy and the widow and the poor? Lord, Lord, did I not do a bunch of church things all in your name? Friend, the tragedy of it all is 
is that Jesus' news for you is the same as all those who live in rebellion against him. I don't know you. I don't know you, friend. Friend, mere spiritual activity is insufficient to save us from our sins. We need the blood of Christ. We need the bloody cross. We need true repentance. That means you stop living your way and you submit to the word of God and go God's way. You can't go both ways. You look like a fool when you do it. And one day you will be made a fool. You will be the laughing fool of all the world when you turn up into heaven. Just imagine, you turn up like that, like that young fella down at that guard's gate. How foolish he must have felt when he stood there calling out, Mr. President, I helped you get elected. Won't you let me in? And he says, I never knew. Get out of here. Mere dependence on confession, mere dependence on some superficial spiritual activity will not, and as we see finally in verse 23, mere superficial relationship will not get you into heaven. Jesus concludes with, those wor- with, this, with his warning by declaring eternal judgment on these false disciples. Look what he says. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness after all their confessions after all this retelling of a lifetime lived in the name of jesus i mean they lay it out lord lord confession confession let me lay out all my theology let me lay out all my activity look at all the things i did for you jesus jesus says i don't know you he says i don't know you no not never i never knew you we never had a relationship now, to be clear, this isn't Jesus speaking of his omniscience. Jesus knows all people, okay? So, so this is a, a specific kind of knowledge, to know somebody. I mean, like in an Old Testament, right? Adam knew Eve, all right? You don't, you don't need to use your imagination what he means there, all right? In other words, there's an intimacy, a relationship there, right? It's, it's not mere like, I know his name. No, no, no. To know someone is to be in relationship. Jesus says, I don't know you that way. I mean, I know your name. I know who you are. I know how you live. But I don't know you the way I know that these dear brothers and sisters. In other words, they did not have a personal relationship with Jesus through submission and obedience to him. You want a relationship with Jesus? You want Jesus to be your Lord? Jesus says, if you want me to be your master, you have to submit to me. Isn't that kind of similar to what he said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount? That no one can serve two masters? Like, you can't be the master of your life and then at the same time say, Jesus is my master. In the end, he declares a sentence of death upon them and he tells them to depart. Look again at verse 23. Just a little aside, a little little nugget of help for you this morning. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here, here's your little afternoon thinking session uh, about what Jesus says here. Who but God could declare one's eternal judgment? No, but God. And Jesus does it in a bit of passive way, declare a bit of his power and authority, doesn't he? as we'll see next week. 
Well, finally, Jesus here, I think, gives us a glimpse into the real problem. We've kind of been hinting at this problem a bit. We, we saw it at the beginning in verse 21, and we see it very clearly here in verse 23. Really what the crux of the problem is. The heart of the matter. What is it? They were workers of lawlessness. It wasn't that they were a band of occasional sinners, you know, that sometimes mess up. You know, I like how we, we often try to water down and make sin light. It wasn't that. It wasn't that they were just kind of passively sinning occasionally. Hey, we all mess up. We all fall down. No, rather we see he describes them as workers of lawlessness. What a phrase. What a verbal picture, isn't it? Workers of lawlessness. A, a lawless person is one who is willfully rebelling a known law. Right? It's, it's to say, like, I know that the posted speed limit is 35, but I'm going to go 80 anyways. And then he says, no, 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 right? that's a lawless person. But to be a worker of lawless is to stand out on the street and encourage others to go 80 miles an hour as well. Right? That's a worker of lawlessness. That's someone who is all in on their lawlessness. They spent their days, Jesus says, toiling to perpetuate rebellion against the one true and loving God. In, in other words, they were on the broad way and they were inviting as many along as they could. In short, they lived their lives in rebellion against God. And this is why Jesus in verse 21 says that only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will inherit eternal life. You want to know what it means to have Jesus as your personal Savior? You want to know what it means to live in relationship with Jesus? Then he's like the wise man in verse 24 that hears these words of mine and does them. You see it? Whereas we heard earlier in James chapter 1, he is not merely a hearer, but a doer of the word. Genuine discipleship is forged in the crucible of submission to the will of the Father through obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not an easy road. It's hard to submit to the will of God. I don't mean in any way or any imagination this morning to, to convince you that following Jesus is easy. It is no easy street to follow Jesus. Jesus car, calls us to follow some hard and difficult roads. Uh, that's why he describes it as a narrow road, as, as a narrow gate. It's, it's not an easy way to follow this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I don't mean do you sing what a friend we have in Jesus. That's not what I mean, and, and I hope that point is clear. If you say yes this morning, that you know Jesus on a personal level, then why don't you obey him? You see, to be in a relationship with Jesus means that you love him by willfully obeying him now how foolish would it be for us to parade around a husband who says he loves his wife yet he cheats on her every night we wouldn't say that man loves his husband but contrary hates his hates his wife we would not say that at all then similarly how could we say that we love jesus yet willfully rebel against him in our lives 
Jesus calls his disciples to this narrow road of obedience to the Father's will. That's what he's calling you to to this morning. To follow Jesus by stop living your life, your way. And I don't mean, you know, in your 20s and 30s, but I mean at every stage of life, Jesus is calling us to a crossroad of following him. Will I willfully submit to him or not? My fear for you this morning is to think that your mere confessions or your mere religious activity or just because you put Jesus on your bumper sticker thinks that you're going to turn up into heaven and be accepted by our eternal God. Friend, there are no more fearful words than to hear on Judgment Day, I never knew you. To live a life in the name of Jesus And it all be a mirage, all be a facade, nothing be real. The truth is this morning, you can be easily deceived and so can I. And that's why we need to do church together in a community. That's why we don't do online church. Because you need other Christians to call you out on your deception. Call you out when you're living in rebellion against God. To, To encourage you along your way, you need this body to follow Jesus. A mere superficial relationship to the things of God, to the person of Jesus Christ, friends, is a damning relationship. It is not a saving one. And these are fearful words. And the question this morning is, have you truly repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone for salvation? Perhaps you're here this morning and you have a weaker conscience than the rest of us. And that's okay. I understand that. I appreciate that. Perhaps this morning you're inflicted with the sort of introspection that often comes with a sermon like this, where you doubt whether or not you're truly saved. Well, let me assure you this morning that through faithfulness to the will of God, not perfection, not perfectionism, but through an ongoing trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, this double imputation that we sing so often, save from wrath and make me pure. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel right there. Double imputation. Imputed our sin upon Jesus, that he bore the wrath that our sin rightly deserved. But not only is our, our slate wiped clean, not only are we forgiven of our sins, and we are in the gospel, praise God, but there's double imputation. Save from wrath and make me pure. We receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Such that this morning, that those that are in Christ are not only forgiven of their sins, but they are as holy as Jesus is holy. And friend, there is nothing more holy than Jesus. If you're in Jesus this morning, if you have identified with Jesus by repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone, not through your confessions, not through your obedience, or rather your spiritual activity, or or through some vague superficial relationship, by really bending your knee to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm here to serve you in any way you call me to do, then friend, you can have confidence this morning. That on judgment day, it will not be your confession that is upon your lips. It will not be your litany of spiritual activity. It will not be your bumper sticker that had Jesus' name on it. It will be the declaration that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And in Him, and in Him alone, I live. Oh, what a Savior. Friend, this morning, if you're in Christ... 
The words that you will hear on that great and glorious day is not, I never knew you, but come. Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from all of eternity past. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long for that day for those who are truly in Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open blind eyes, quicken dead hearts, those among us that live in deception, to thinking that one day they're going to turn up before your throne and they're going to hear those dreadful words, I never knew you. I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would save a sinner for your glory, that you would call us out of death into life, into submission to your will.